Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to Podmunda and our Coming to America spoiler special podcast. Yes, indeed. After 33 years away, Eddie Murphy is back. Eddie Murphy is back. Eddie Murphy is back. And Eddie Murphy is back. He plays four characters, you see, that's what I'm... Mm-hmm. It's going to be a long pod. In the sequel to Coming to America and joining me to discuss the movie are Coming to America superfan Amon Warman. Oh, say, can you see? Hey, We're wait a second. Spoiling to oh, America. Oh, Hello, no. Everyone. Oh, no. <laughs> you specifically said in one of our little WhatsApp groups that you were going to cut down the singing on the Empire podcast, and here you go. You got to give me one. <laughs> It was very nice. Well done. Uh, also, you might like to know that whenever I was writing, and yes, I wrote this introduction. Shut the fuck up at home. Yes, I wrote this introduction. Uh, when I wrote this, uh, autocorrect changed superfan to superman. So, yep. Yep. I don't know. Everything is oh. in working order there, clearly. But enough about that upcoming spoiler special. Uh-oh. 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 You may want to clear a day for that one, folks. Um, we haven't recorded it yet, so who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll be done with it in 30 minutes, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, Helen will be and another thing in that movie into submission, uh, and Amon and I will be defending it. Yep. So, which may, which may surprise you. So, you know, it's going to be fun. And we haven't even mentioned the name of that movie. Anyway. <laughs> best not. Best not. Best not. Anyway, enough about that. I haven't even introduced you yet, Helen, for the love of Christ. Anyway, Hello. so we've got Coming to America superfan and Norbit superfan, Helen oh. O'Hara. How are you? How dare you? How dare you, sir? Uh, my lawyers will be in touch. Wow. <laughs> it's actually Meet Dave is my favourite Eddie Murphy movie. Um, I will say that actually I saw Norbit next to you, Chris, and we we despaired. I think it's fair to say we did despair. Did despair it we several did. times during that film. And we that Oscar-winning film. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mad. But... Mm. Uh, Anyway, I'm I'm glad to Is be back Is it Oscar on... winning or was it just Oscar nominated? Oh, maybe you're right. I think it was Oscar nominated. Was Oscar nominated, uh, yeah. yeah. I think the Academy stopped just short of Norbit. I mean, Suicide Squad's an Oscar winning movie. So, yeah. I mean, how low is the bar? But yeah, Norbit. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Norbit. We're not here <laughs> no. to, to diss Eddie Murphy. We're here to celebrate Eddie Murphy. Right. Uh, and he's we? back, back, back. In com- are we? <laughs> <laughs> We are. We are here to celebrate. We're here to celebrate Eddie Murphy. Yes. Are we here to celebrate every aspect of the film in which he stars? Perhaps less so. Let's find out. Hey, come on, you guys. Come on. Anyway, before we get into this movie, we're going to hear from the film's director, Craig Brewer, who is directing Eddie, my old mate Eddie. Um, he likes me to call him Eddie <laughs> for the second time in a row after Dolomite is my name I caught up with Craig on Zoom recently I believe it was Zoom and we had a good old natter about coming to America getting fairly deep into the movie actually uh, can you get deep into a movie that has cameos from Colin Jost Enfog and Salt and Pepper turns out you can uh, but we also had a load of fun and I hope that you guys do too here it is, me talking to Craig Brewer. Do please enjoy. Enjoy. I should get Morgan Freeman to do this bit. It would be much <laughs> or a crab called Morgan Freeman. <laughs> anyway, Craig Brewer, 
We're delighted to be joined in this very, very special Coming to America, to America. I keep mispronouncing the two, Craig. It's ridiculous. Uh, by the director of the movie, Craig Brewer. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start with the big question. There's a moment where you do a flashback to Sam Jackson in the original movie. And the first time I saw Coming to America, I thought, they're setting up a cameo from Sam Jackson, but doesn't happen. Was there? Was it ever in the uh, in the works at any point? You know, there was. Uh, I think a couple of times where we were trying to look. We went through it. We, we went through a, a a bit where we were trying to shoehorn everybody in. You know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, even Vondi, you know, uh, who was who was one of the fans of uh, of Akeem and in the in the, in the uh, arena scene in the first movie, uh, but. Uh, Sam was busy and at a certain point we kind of thought like you know what what are, what are we what do we do we got to we got to keep it somewhat real you know we can't just like have absolutely everyone back and uh and and also I knew that I wanted to do that sequence of of kind of the fairy tale moment of uh of uh Prince Akeem in the land of queens because I, you know, it was it was a way to to show people scenes from the original movie, but kind of reinterpret it as if it was like, you know, uh, some girl telling the story about Cinderella or something like that. And I thought that would be kind of a a sweet way of seeing some of the old scenes uh, and, and and showing some of those cameos. Interesting, interesting. And perhaps we'll talk about the cameos, uh, some of the other cameos as well, as we go on. But but just mentioning that sequence is is really interesting because I think any director who makes a, a long-awaited, long-delayed comedy sequel, be it Anchorman or Zoolander, in recent years we've we've had sequels to those movies, faces a dilemma, which is how do you do something new? How do you take the characters into new new directions? whilst at the same time giving the people what they want without that being a retread of just the best bits from the first movie. How difficult was it for you to do that, to give Akeem something to do that that's, that felt new and deliver jokes that weren't just retreading the original movie? Well, I think that we always knew that we were going to have the funny, right? We always knew that Eddie is undeniable. Arsenio and Eddie in particular are the chemistry that the two of them have. I, I think that, that the one, the one sad thing that I'm, I'm going to experience by not having this premiere in a theater is seeing the two of them share a frame together. I knew was going to get like an applause because people just have such love for both of them, you know, it, 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 you know, regardless of, of the characters themselves. I mean, to see Arsenio Hall is to see my my teenage youth and young young adulthood. Like he 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 marshaled me through all that with his show, and then obviously Eddie with his movies. But actually, I think we're probably like Kenya and and some of the writers would, would maybe uh, you know they they, they they would probably get nervous about me being like this. But I would kind of have to get deep on coming to America. I'd have to kind of go like, well. What do you think those last two lines of the first movie is all about? What last two lines? You know, uh, Akeem and Lisa, they're in the, the chariot after their wedding. And he goes, do you want to go back to Queens? And what does she say? Nah. Right. Yeah. And so what what was Lisa then? And what was Akeem then? And then did they go back to America ever? 
did Lisa ever return back to Queens and help with that organization that she was there with the, you know, the benefit when, when Akeem uh, saw Randy Watson sing for the first time. And then you start kind of like going about, then you start thinking about yourself. You're like, okay, well, wait a minute. Where was I when I was a young man? And where was my head as to what I thought happiness would be? And, and also the things that I want to change in the world, but then you have a kid you're like, okay, I probably need a house. And then you get a mortgage and then you have another kid and then you're worried about their safety and you're worried about their growth and their development and the world that they're in right now. And little by little, you start maybe letting go of some of those dreams and ideas that you thought like, well, I'm just going to I'm going to change the world. And now you have these children and they've got their opinions as to where the world can change and they might be at odds with what you think are important. Mm. So from the from the minor to like me telling my daughter it's Thanksgiving morning. We're watching the Macy's day parade until Santa comes out. And, and that's final. You know what I mean? Like, and then, and her like on her phone going like, I don't know, dad, if that's really something that I'm into. And it's like, how can you say that? It's tradition. It's like, and to, to larger issues. And so what we ultimately realize is that man, like Akeem now is dealing with the decisions that he made back in the day. He didn't marry the woman he was supposed to marry. That led to two nations not being bound together economically, you know, and now there's problems, real kingly problems. And he's got three daughters and there's laws and uh, he's got to be strong. And and so to me, I felt like, well, this is the advantage of having a movie take place 30 some odd years after the original, because I feel like we are all kind of experiencing the same thing that Akeem is experiencing. And I was like, okay, so that's the thing that's new and that's the thing that's accessible and relatable. And it'd be so interesting to see Akeem, I know this sounds funny, let us down a little bit. And then, and then, you know, us realize like, oh, you know, you haven't really changed things in Samunda. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's atrophied. Over the years, I mean, this is the guy who, in coming to America, was bursting and breaking, you know, breaking out of the the, the confines and the box that he had been put into, and and busting traditions wherever he could, left, right, and center. And now, when we find him at the beginning of this movie, he's very much, very much a traditionalist in this. Um, uh, and I wondered if that were if that's where the story of of Mika came from uh, as, as well. The idea that you know, there's a there's a more progressive side the world has changed there's a more progressive side to the movie that's going on underneath Akeem's nose almost and and the and the wonderful thing about how Kiki portrays Mika is that it would have been very easy for us to have his eldest daughter be so vigilant and, and that she would almost be uh uh kind of in his face about it and what she brings is this kind of uh, uh, respectful nobility that that she doesn't like what's happening in the movie, but uh, she would never be disrespectful, that she still mm-hmm. believes in the duty of being the princess, of being someone who has learned from her father. And, but when push comes to shove, she's going to defend her home. And, and also, we, you know, we talked a lot about like the, that, that Eddie always believed that the first movie was a, a modern fairy tale. And I think he, he, is spot on with that. I would I would argue that it may be the 
black cinema fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you can look at so many other movies, but like, I, 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 I would like, I, w- without anybody like calling, I don't, I don't believe that that Black Panther is a fairy tale. But like, but, but coming to America is like, I mean, that that is like the the primary idea of a fairy tale of the prince coming to find a princess, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to us, we felt that though that fairy tale bubble has been existing for about 30 years with this couple and with their children, like most Royals, like what's really there to disrupt it. But we all need some disruption right now. And I think even in the last couple of years, as we were cutting this movie together, we found that, well, that's the hardest thing for everybody to do, regardless of, of, of culture is, um, is be disrupted with new ideas and with, and with new energy and, and we felt like, okay, well, that's fun to do with this, <laughs> this bastard from Queens, you know, and his mother and uncle now coming into the royal family and kind of taking him down a notch. But also, it may be exactly what he needed to move forward. You know, he needed some of that disruption that he perhaps caused for King Jaffe Joffer many years ago. I'm telling you, we get deep thinking about these. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're talking about a place that doesn't exist. We're talking about Zamunda. We're talking about kings and and these characters that I know people think like, well, come on, they're just there for jokes. No, we we really, it's coming to America. It means a lot, and yeah. and we want to make sure that that people understand that we care. And mm-hmm. so we're thinking really deep thoughts about you know what you know what what's happening in the first movie and this movie. For example, I love that whenever um, Akeem has his moment of reckoning, when he goes off for a moment of contemplation, he goes to McDowell's and, you know, and he and he goes to mop the floor again and he goes to almost consciously take himself back yeah. to the kid he was 30 years prior. Yeah, he said it, it was uh, he said, I, I, I always loved mopping. It was it was simple. And, and, and that is such that's such a comment from a man and, and perhaps a, a woman that that's lived a life. It's like, Oh, I remember, I, I still talk about it when I used to, before I made films, I worked at Barnes and Noble and I used to just dread shelving. Like, Oh, I got to first got to alphabetize all these books on my cart. And now I got to go over to self-help and then I got to go over to, 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 to women's studies. And then I, I and then I'm going to go over to, to fiction. And you're shelving books, but now I I I look back on it and I was like, oh, I don't know, I I didn't I, I didn't know what I had, you know, it was just so simple, you know. You can at the end of the day, I went home and I felt like I accomplished something. I I wasn't bringing the troubles of my of my work home with me and stressing me out as I fall asleep and wake up. And and that's just something that 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 I think when you're older, you look back on and 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 you you realize uh, it was it was good for you. Is there a a really interesting thread that runs through the movie. There is no, there is no lack of Eddie Murphy in this movie. He plays four characters, but there, the movie does focus an awful lot on uh, Lavelle's story as well, which I thought was really, really interesting. And can, can you talk about that? About how much you and Eddie had conversations about the balance of Akeem, Lavelle, Mika, and the sort of generosity, uh, I, I guess, of of seeding a lot of the movie to Lavelle's story. Well, it's interesting because I think that that you know, look when when the storyline of this movie starts getting out in Hollywood to cast and to think, it's like everybody's thinking like, okay, so it's a handoff. Mm. Uh, like if you're if you're going to be casting the son of Eddie Murphy, then he has to be like a miniature Eddie Murphy, equally as in in, in his pocket of humor and 
Eddie will hand over the the scepter, the kingly scepter to this, and it'll be a handoff. And and that's not really what we felt was the right thing to do. We felt that that you know Lavelle needed to occupy a different part of the fantasy. And and I remember Eddie one day telling me that it's actually a real fantasy for young black men who did not have a father figure in their life, suddenly having a man come out of nowhere, you know, having the father return and say, I'm taking you to a new life. That that is a, that was a, 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 a version of a fairy tale that could be told in, in, in what Eddie kind of referred to as like that, that African-American male landscape. And and then you find out your father's a king and, and that he's wealthy beyond belief. And, and then you just kind of want to go there and vacation. You know, you've, 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 you've earned it. You know, you've not having a father, not having somebody in your life like that. You've had to overcompensate in other areas. You've had, to, you've had to struggle. You've had to be the man in your own house. And so, yeah, this is what I earned. I get to get all this money. But then he realizes like, oh, I actually got to like bring something to this. And, and then once he earns it, Here's the big, the big, this is where we're getting deep again with coming to America. He's like, well, wait, do I want this? You know, do I, I, I do I want the palace and the, the titles and everything when, when really like when I was back in Queens, if I found a woman that was this, this awesome, like this Barbara Marembe, I'd be opening up, you know, we'd be cutting heads and doing like our own small business in Queens and I'd be happy, you know? And so that's something that Akeem needed to hear again. And to remember that, that, that it used to be that simple. It used to be that simple that you would find your true love and you would, you would start a life with that person and, you would, and you'd be perfectly fine leaving, away, leaving wealth and title and, and, and privilege aside if it meant I could have something real and, and pure. And yeah. so it's, it's, it, Lavelle's journey is important to Akeem's revelation uh, that he's, he, he got lost. He got a little lost. And uh, and whilst we're getting deep on uh, coming to America as well, Craig, uh, I really really like the, the the way that you 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 handle James Earl Jones' death scene in this in this movie. I thought it was it was really beautiful because you have this wonderful celebration of a life with some of those aforementioned cameos. I mean, yeah. my God, <laughs> I mean, when did when did the cameo stop in that scene? Let me tell you, there is nothing more exciting than the moment that I that I arranged a push in on Morgan Freeman with that great gravitas saying, and now I give you en vogue. <laughs> there was just I was like, I can retire now. That's it's not I'm not gonna it's not gonna get better than that. <laughs> and just when I thought that was it, and then he goes, and now salt and pepper. And I was like, oh. Who's not going to love this moment? <laughs> and then Gladys Knight. I mean, my God. It's interesting that you bring that sequence up because it, it, it walks that interesting line that John Landis could, could, could walk back in the day, which is like something can be meaningful, uh, have a pleasing arc to it, be taken seriously. But it's also in the middle of kind of like a little bit of madness. You know, I mean, there's Gladys Knight singing Midnight Train from Zamunda. And, and yet I'm emotional. <laughs> you know? And and uh, and and it, 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 that's what I'm saying. That's that that's that interesting place that his movies would sometimes uh, put you in. And it was very important that we that we try to try to hit that as well. Yeah. 
And also, I believe as well that, you know, because obviously James Earl Jones is getting on in years, obviously, and he couldn't leave New York. So was that entirely, you shot that entirely with him on his own? Was Eddie there at any point? One one of the proudest moments of my life was that I spent a day not only directing James Earl Jones, but I was acting with him. I played all the parts. So when he passes away, he's he's talking to me. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling everybody now because I'm dealing with it, but it's like I'm 49 right now. And my father died of a heart attack at 49, very unexpectedly. And we love James Earl Jones. And I'm sitting there on this Apple box while James Earl Jones is having these great lines that any father would say to their child. He says, son, I've had a wonderful evening. I've had a wonderful time. Uh, remember what I told you? Uh, I'm going to die now. And, and then, you know, he passes away Mm. and uh, I, I got, I, I couldn't call cut. I I got really emotional. Like my, my lips started quivering and I felt like that lump in my throat and tears were welling up in my eyes. And, and I, I turned to the crew to like, please say cut. And they were, they were equally as emotional about it. And, uh, so in my own way, every time I see James Earl do that moment, um, it's, it, I know it's Jaffe Joffer, but I, I can't help but kind of feel like it's, it's it, in my own way, it's my dad and I finally getting that goodbye moment, you know, that I never really had with him because movies were so much a, a love of his. And, and it, was the, it was the way we connected on things. And we connected, we went and saw Coming to America the first time. We saw, we saw uh, Trading Places together. We saw Blues Brothers. We saw Kentucky Fried Movie. You know, it, it was it was our way of um, tossing the ball around. And 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 here's this great moment, you know, between a father and son and coming to America. Oh, that's beautiful. That really is. I, I want to go back to the uh, the thing I said at the beginning uh, of the interview as well, which is about that desire in a comedy sequel to give the people what they want and to bring back the characters that they love and uh, and you bring back the guys from the barbershop uh, was that I'm, I'm glad to see they're still alive because quite frankly I thought Saul would have shuffled off the sportal coil by now he's got to be 125 by my reckoning you know you, you see those old guys that in, in real life um, and you're just like what are they doing that they're still here they're still here but uh, yeah I'm sure if we do a sequel in 10 years they'll still be around <laughs> <laughs> you want to believe that there's pockets in the country that remain unchanged, that there's still those old guys that are going to be completely politically incorrect, that are going to be completely vulgar and, and, and nothing, no progress is going to change them. They're going to remain the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's really interesting because the, the movie obviously does have, you know, uh, it's aware that the world has changed. There, there are progressive elements to this movie, but having the, the guys in a barbershop and they do get called out on some of the more politically incorrect things that they say. But does that allow you in a way to comedically have your cake and, and eat it <laughs> a little bit with the stuff that they can get away with? Absolutely. Because I think that there's so many things in the original movie that if you were to, I mean, if you were to have it in a, in a new movie today, I don't, I don't know if like much less studio executives or an audience is going to allow anybody to have a princess bark like a dog and hop on one leg. Right. Sure. uh, Maybe you could try it. It's just, I don't know if it would be as successful as it was back in 1988 right or 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 even it's it's a it's a it's a tricky thing right but we still need to see it 
And then we still need to address the fact that this is a country that allows this kind of stuff, right? That, and, and, and so to some extent, you know, the, the clash of bringing, you know, coming to America to 2020 allows us to have fun and, and, and mind comedy, but also justice and, 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 and see where things have moved forward, you know? But then again, there's also, there's also something rather special. I feel like in the finale of the movie, I found that, that the more I've been watching the movie, there's this moment that I've come to love more and more, which is it's Lavelle's wedding. He's back at the palace. He could have anyone he wanted to perform at his wedding. And he's telling his new bride, oh, my God, wait till you see who's coming up here. And she's like, is it Diana Ross? Is it Kendrick Lamar? Is it? And he's like, it's better, you know. And then Randy Watson comes out. Right. I want to believe that this younger generation can can push us forward in progressive ways and right injustice. I also want them to love Randy Watson. I want, I, I want them to also know that there's some old things that may just be terrible <laughs> and, and confusing that rock, that, that, that are more right than they are, than they are being wrong at the moment. Like Lavelle going like, just you wait, and him rocking out to it and, and enjoying it while his new princess and the, and the daughters are kind of going like, you know, what the hell is this? But little by little, they're like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with, I'm with this. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's the world I want to see. Uh, 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 I, w- I want that to exist in my world. <laughs> <laughs> Damn straight. Uh, I wanted to ask about uh, the Colin Jost cameo which I thought was a, a wonderful nod, not just, of course, to coming to America, but to trading places as well. Part of me is a little sad that the Dukes are thriving again, but at the same time, it also feels inevitable. Well, it's, it's really funny because we had a whole different scene there um, with him, with Lavelle going in and getting a job. And the way it was written was kind of like a little bit stilted towards a, a, a normal stereotype. I think like the guy was Southern and, and it was like kind of like a Danny McBride type of send up of like a guy just being like really insensitive and everything. And, you know, it's, it's another example of me being, you know, trying to get deeper on coming to America than probably was best. And, and I was, and I told Kenya Barris, I was like, I feel like this scene needs to kind of address more of really what's, what's happening in America. And he wrote the scene so perfectly because then it became more about that, like white collar racism of, Hey, we want to hire a black person just so we can check a box, not because of the, 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 what this person as an individual is going to bring to the company, but because we as a corporation told some lawyers and, 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 you know, and shareholders that we were going to do this, which to me is even, even worse. Right. So then one day I woke, I, I woke up and I was like, oh my God. This is how we tie in the universe. That guy that he's interviewing, the whole place that he's interviewing needs to be a, a Duke and Duke brother business that Akeem inadvertently restarted back in 1988 with coming to America. And, and how perfect that Akeem casually gives a bundle of money to the Duke brothers. They're now back in business. They, they invest their money in communications and now they're D&D digital, right? And now Akeem's son uh, is coming to uh, 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 get a job at this place and, and he's being discriminated against because it's so, it's so uh, uh, in line with 
the ideals that the Duke brothers had in trading places, which is that same kind of white collar toying with racism. It's like, ah, you, you don't understand, like the, these poor black people, they have all of these you know, problems. And I bet if we just gave them an opportunity in our company, but still what the Duke brothers are doing in trading places is racist, right? They, the, the one brother believes that he's not, but it is. And so it's, it's interesting how it tied in to this movie. And I personally, I would always make a joke. I would, and I think it's, you know, it may turn into more than a joke. I was like, you know, there's more here. We should do a trading places coming to America, Eddie Murphy universe, where Colin is, you know, his character is, 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 is now doing something that like, you know, the, the Zamundans need to kind of fight big business and, and exploitation and everything. And it, it just suddenly just blew up into like, oh my God, this is like the best way to tie into the, to the first coming to America and trading places. Oh my God, I was just about to say, as you were talking there, I was going to say your next movie has to be a Trading Places Coming to America crossover with, you know, uh, Lewis Winthorpe Bring III. Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Get you know, them back. Get Jamie Lee back. Get Dan Aykroyd. Oh my God. It would be, and then, and then, and then what is going to happen when Akeem sees, you know, Eddie Murphy's character from Trading Places and, and like they look so much alike, but they're so different. You know, they're so different, you know? Yeah. What was, did King Joffrey Joffer come to America at some point and have a have his own sowing of wild oats? You know? <laughs> well, there's only one thing you can possibly say in that situation, which is you know looking good, Akeem. <laughs> Feeling good, Billy Ray. <laughs> and then, and then uh, real quick, Craig, because I, I can feel the uh, I can feel the hook around my neck <laughs> taking me out of here. Um, I had heard on the grapevine, obviously Arsenio plays a new character in this, but I'd heard the grapevine that Eddie might be playing a new character in Coming to America as well. Uh, was there any, any talk about that at any point? Well, um, we had um, a couple of uh, like like false starts with some characters that we were doing, um, and in the in the um, in the uh, deleted scenes, we actually had Eddie and Arsenio play uh, these two farmers that had a disagreement with each other. But uh, it's just one of those scenes that ultimately, you know, ended up on the cutting room floor, and, and hopefully it'll come out in a in a in a beautifully vulgar fashion. But it it it, it just was, uh, you know, it was a something where their makeup looked incredible. They're always funny. But it just landed at a certain point in the movie that we just kind of needed to move forward. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that Eddie always swears that he's never going to do, you know, one of these makeup uh, characters again um, because he's sitting in the chair for like seven hours every day having to do it. But, uh, you know, give him a couple of years and I'm sure he'll agree that he'll just do it again. Amazing. And then the very last thing I wanted to ask you was about the last shot of the movie before we cut to the credits, which is this wonderful Star Wars-esque group shot just before you uh, you, you cut to black. Uh, can you talk about finishing the movie on, on that note? I do remember telling Eddie, this is what we're doing. This is the last moment of the movie. This is the, this is the new family. I always knew that's how I wanted to, to end the movie that if the if the first movie ended with Akeem and Lisa together side by side, um, I wanted this movie to be, you know, uh, a snapshot of what that union in the first movie led to. You know, you you, you could see a line between the two that um, that it that it ultimately even with all the conflict and all the problems that happened with finding out of this indiscretion that Akeem had 
you know, without his knowledge really um, back in the day that it all led to still a family that, that ultimately is happier together. And uh, you know, and I think that's just our, that's our message really with the movie is just, some, it's just some acceptance, you know, that's really what the first movie dealt with is, uh, is, is, is some flexibility and some acceptance and, and uh, hopefully people will feel that with this movie. Well, Craig Brewer, I have enjoyed our deep, very deep dive, deeper than uh, I think perhaps I expected as well. Loved it. Uh, into Coming to America. And I cannot wait to see Trading Places meets Coming to America. <laughs> I'll let you know when, when it gets greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> Make it happen. Make it happen. Thanks very much, man. Take care. Take care. All right, so that was Craig Brewer, and now it is time to talk about coming to America. Let's quickly gauge where we are in this film. I have to say, I had fun with this movie. I'm sensing I may be the only person in this room who did no, 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 have no. fun with it. Um, Amon, Coming to America is close to, if not your favourite movie of all time, that doesn't have a Marvel in it. Am I right? <laughs> it's my favourite comedy of all time. I'm very confident in saying that. Um, okay. And... Yeah, I, I love that movie with a passion. My family loves that movie with a passion. I'm pretty sure as a family, we are living quadruple figures on that movie. Wow. Uh, we have watched it a lot. Um, quadruple figures? Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a Let's little bit. Let's break this down, <laughs> shall we? So that, that's just saying, for the sake of saying, you've seen this movie 999 times. It's, it, it's 33 years old. Right, so that means said, you've seen it family, thirty-three but... times a year as a family. That's right, isn't it? Thirty-three Thir- times 30 thirty-three times is nine hundred ninety-nine. Oh, yeah, thirty-three okay, times yeah, thirty-three. Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. All right, Forderman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen it thirty-three times a year. I haven't even seen Police Academy that many times, let alone in a year. Um, that's the bu- we've watched it that's... a lot. <laughs> is the point that I was trying to make. <laughs> Maybe even... And you made it beautifully. Thank you very much. So you're a huge, huge super fan. And then were you excited about this movie or were you nervous about it? Were you worried about Zoolander 2 syndrome kicking in? Initially, I was nervous about it. But as it got to the the closer to release and as I started seeing some footage from it, I was a little bit more uh, relaxed and less less nervous about it because you had Craig Brewer re-teaming with Eddie Murphy. And Craig Brewer had just Mm. done Dolomite Is My Name, which really sort of it was, it was really sort of fun movie. Eddie Murphy was so great in it. He was in the awards conversation. The film was in the awards conversation and deservedly so. So I'm like, if that guy can do this with Eddie Murphy at this late stage in the game, maybe he can pull it off again. And then when I saw the trailers, it didn't blow me away, but there was some mm. stuff which I genuinely enjoyed uh, from the trailers. And I was like, okay, I can maybe give this a shot. I wasn't sort of like, you know, nervous or dreading it or anything like that. But the full film, I was underwhelmed by it. I, I, it's interesting. I actually think the film does a better job with the heart than the humor. There's some mm-hmm. really good sort of mm-hmm. heart stuff and dramatic stuff here, which actually genuinely works. But in a film called Coming to America, you want to be laughing to, you know, every few minutes. You want to be laughing hard. And I just didn't get that from this movie. Um, and, that, and that to me is a shame. Hells Bells, where do you stand? Are you a big fan, mm. a stan, as we say these days, of the first movie? <laughs> I am. I, th- I think that is probably my favourite Eddie Murphy of that kind of classic period. 
Um, I have probably seen it more than Beverly Hills Cop, although I do also love The Golden Child, and I know that's not cool, but I do. <laughs> hey, it, listen, nothing hey. wrong with The Golden Child apart from uh. all the things that are wrong with The Golden Child. <laughs> Look, this is a safe space for Golden Child lovers as far as I'm concerned. So, uh. <laughs> I, 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 I want the knife. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but so yeah, I really, I really, really love the, the original, and uh, I was... Not complacent for this, but hopeful, uh, especially as more and more people came back. I thought that was mm-hmm. a, a nice testament to how much affection they had for it, and I, I was I was pleased about that. And also, um, money, lots of money. Well, I, I mean, I'm not that cynical, so I wasn't even I'm thinking not that way, Chris. Yeah. And McDowell's did the onset catering, so <laughs> you know it's going to be good. So uh, yeah, I was I was I was hopeful, and I. Didn't mind it. I, 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 you know that kind of Friday night feeling where your brain is like done for the day, and you just want to sit down in front of something that makes no demands of you. Like yeah. I, I kind of thought it was okay on that level, and I just kind of wish it had been a little bit more. I think Amon's right. I, I don't think it's funny enough. Uh, I have issues with even some of the heart stuff, uh, though. I think he's also right that it does better there. Mostly, it just it slightly frustrated me in the way that a lot of films do, which is you know my whole thing about like keeping it simple and not having too many complications and extra characters, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like this massively has too many complications and extra characters, and and it would have done better to slim that down and and leave some room for these incredible comic talents, to, and and also acting talents in this film to do mm. better work, you know, so. I didn't hate it. I, I, you know, had quite a nice time. I didn't mind watching it a second time for this. I was quite like, okay, that'll be fine. Yeah, good. Mm. But mm. I was not laughing nearly as hard as I wanted to be. It's interesting, isn't it? Because this was the first experience I'd had where, you know, I was a bit cheeky uh, in that I was sent the link for this movie and mm-hmm. I watched it with my wife because, you know, she's a huge fan of the first movie as well. And it made me really yearn for that experience of being back in a cinema. And I wonder if this movie would benefit for you guys, especially mm. from being viewed with a big old audience who are all into it at the same time and laughing. Because whilst I feel it's not the funniest movie, certainly it's not even the funniest movie that came out in March. Uh, you know, It's not the funniest movie of the year. I, I had such a ball watching with my wife. We were, we were laughing. And, you know, next Doria is a joke that you take the day off after that joke. That's 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 it. Down tools. That's the, I'm going home now. And you know, it's got such an infectious spirit to it, especially mm. in the first half hour where it is legitimately funny and it's piling on cameo after cameo after cameo. That you just think, okay, I've got to, I've got to yield to this movie and I've got to go along for for the ride. And then the ride weirdly doesn't focus on Eddie Murphy. And you're like, okay, can I put a little bit more of Eddie Murphy, please? I mean, this guy is perfectly good. Jermaine Fowler, perfectly good. But I signed up for Eddie Murphy. and I'm not getting a lot of Eddie Murphy in my Eddie Murphy movie. And I wonder if maybe, though, my long-winded way of getting around to it is that maybe the fact you guys watched it on your own. I don't know what you did, man. Maybe you watched it with your your family. I watched it with my... I watched it with my mum and my sis, and we all came away feeling sort of similar, unfortunately, which is that mm. we were okay. a little bit underwhelmed. There were some moments which we laughed, and Nextoria was one of them. I think Wesley Snipes is probably probably one of the high points of the movie. Uh, I was going to say the MVP of the movie. I need to think about that a little bit. Um, mm. But he's definitely one of the high points of the movie, and we laughed at that uh, a little bit. But again, like I, I wrote um, in... Uh, one of my recent Black and Focus columns about how 
Coming to America, the, the original is the ultimate black film and how many sort of moments we've shared as a family just watching that film. You could always put that film on no matter how many times we've watched it. We know it front to back, back to front, sideways, sideways diagonal, and we still laugh our asses <laughs> off every time we watch it. And, and it is really hard to hit the forward and rewind buttons to get it sideways and diagonal. So that's a real <laughs> testament to it's you tough. guys. Seriously. It's it. tough. Thank you very much. I'm always playing 4D chess. <laughs> He's ahead of the game. So, so yeah, but we all, we all, we all came away uh, from the film feeling pretty similar on it, unfortunately. Mm. And I watched it with my sister, so I also was not alone. For yes. That, for the record. But I know your sister. She's, she's quite humorless. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm telling her you said that, and that is the last time she'll be walking cake over to your house. <laughs> cake is a made-up drug, Helen. I, <laughs> I do not subscribe to that. Um, do you think, though, that perhaps... It's interesting because I I am not as knowledgeable about the first movie as you guys are. And it felt to me that this was in many ways just the same movie, uh, transported to a different locale, obviously, but repeating a lot of the same beats, which is kind of what comedy sequels do. Anchorman 2 did a lot of that, in my opinion, pretty successfully, in, other, in everyone else's opinion. Not so successfully. Um, <laughs> Sulander 2 was, did that as well and was frankly a disaster mm. that had maybe three good gags in the entire movie. Mm. Uh, that, you know, so that's interesting to me that this is essentially the same beats but weren't received as well by you guys. And I wonder if maybe that's... You're so wedded to the first movie There's for, maybe for sentimental reasons that... Maybe in, maybe once you've seen this movie another 997 times, I'm on, is basically what I'm saying. I think you might, <laughs> that is you might not be open to his charms. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't think that's it. I think the things that irritated me about this were, well, yes, I mean, I think there's, a, there's an element of if you're going to repeat the same jokes, you really have to plus them. So, you know, actually, mm. for me, having McDowell's be a restaurant in Zamunda wasn't that funny. I, I got the kind of grass joke, okay, that was kind of clever, and oh, look, fast food is trying to be more environmentally friendly. But what would have been funnier is if he'd set up a tech company called Pineapple or something. Do you know what I mean? It would have been funnier if they'd kind of plus that joke somehow and moved into a new era and made some fun of something else because it's not McDonald's lawyers that people are scared of now it's Apple's lawyers or Disney's oh, we, lawyers you can't even say you, that. you can't even say that you can't even say we're scared of those, those people's lawyers in fact I have a prepared statement to read out that we actually are we love those lawyers and we welcome we their scrutiny no we don't yeah, oh we god do. anyway carry on that's a great idea though yeah I, I, I just think that you know that's the kind of joke where you wanted something else. You wanted maybe somebody else in the barbershop with the old man, like a, I don't know, is there not a wise-ass kid who could have been in there kind of zhuzhing that up? Mm. I just feel like there are so many moments where they could have done something to just flip or twist or add to the original joke, and they just kind of did the original joke. And you didn't mind it because you like these characters and you were fine seeing them again, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not enough. Yeah. And then, yeah. as I say, all of this complication and and the kind of failure to move forward at any point in between, really, you know, like, I just don't believe Lisa would have sat by for 30 years being told that her daughters were not going to become rulers of this country without having some serious arguments about it. Wouldn't it have been maybe better to have that scene, her arguing with James Earl Jones, even on his deathbed, wouldn't that have been funnier and more surprising than just another sort of, you know, I don't know, whatever that scene was. I just, mm. 
I just feel like there's more they could have done to kind of earn a sequel. Yeah. It's interesting uh, because I think that the in recent times, the franchise to get that perfect balance between past and present 100% right is Creed. And mm-hmm. one of the things that Creed does is that it focuses on the new character and puts the sort of old guard in the background slightly. And the fact, uh, one of the big problems with this film is that it doesn't really know who it wants its protagonist to be. It starts yeah. off with Akeem, then it goes to Lavelle for the, like, the entire second act, then it goes back to Akeem. And that just you know, confused things. I think if, if it sort of takes the, le- if, if it took more of the lessons um, from a creed um, mm. in terms of what they're doing with the lead character and with the supporting characters, I think that would have uh, had a big impact. In terms of what you were saying, Helen, uh, with the women, it's interesting in, the, in one of the trailers for Coming to America, they had a Wakanda joke, uh, which is not in the actual film. Mm. And one of the things which they could have taken from Black Panther and Wakanda is how they treat the woman. Because you're absolutely right. This film is stuck in the 80s and the 80s way of thinking. There's no way in 30 years Lisa wouldn't have had multiple conversations about um, the women of Zumunda with, with, with Akeem. Mm-hmm. And you look at how Wakanda treats the woman in that film. Um, you know, it's, it's progressive. It's, and, and I would have liked to have seen more of that in uh, Coming to America. Just the, the, the plot that they went with uh, as a whole. There's so many different directions you could take a film like this. And the one which they, wait, the one which they went with is Akeem getting date raped and having this bastard son. I just don't think this plot as a whole was the right way to go for this film, considering mm. the multitude of other, I think, more interesting options they could have gone with. Yeah, and I think they had a problem as well. Like, I think there was a, an attempt with Lavelle, who I really liked Jermaine Fowler. I thought, I thought he was incredibly yeah. charismatic, really, really likable. But as you say, the, the film doesn't quite know what it wants to do with him. And, and there was a potential and a sort of, there's, there's tendencies towards a kind of fish out of, out of water narrative for him, which I think is slightly hamstrung by the fact that America is a real place and Zamunda is not. And they don't want to be too... Specific, I think, in some ways with Samunda because they don't want to portray African countries that may or may not neighbor it in this the fictional reality negatively, you know. And I feel like they're mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out some way of having fun with this concept of Zamunda without having too much fun and and being mm. offensive and being rude or being just over the top or or whatever it would have ended up as, but. You know, even with what was established in the first film, if you are then trying to throw him into that world, then that means that world can't have changed in 30 years. So you're, you've got these bathing attendants who are incredibly dodgy, <laughs> but you've established that 30 years ago, so you stick with that fine. Mm. But it just means nothing can then move forward, nothing can change. Zamunda itself has to be exactly as it was. And, and that's only funny to a certain degree, and it kind of... And even mm-hmm. Zamunda, we don't see, we see a royal palace. That's basically it. We see a royal palace mm-hmm. and a McDowell's. There's no real sense of place there to kind of sink your teeth into and to make Lavelle's story a fish out of water story mm-hmm. in return. So I just find that frustrating a little bit. Yeah. Is there a sense as well that Lavelle is one of those characters who changes 
based on what the plot requires from him at any given moment. So So when we first meet him, he's basically rejecting Uncle Reem and his slightly shady ways. And he has that interview with Colin Jost and he's very much on top of things. And, you know, he rejects, he rejects one of the Dukes as he rightly should because Mm -hmm. the Dukes are shits. Uh, (laughs) Even their grandkids are shits. Although I really like that gag that he was a Duke. Um, And then whenever Akeem reveals his nature to him, suddenly he's a little bit opportunistic and a little bit... A little bit shady again, mm-hmm. and then he's not, and then he is, and then he's not, and then he is, and so you know, pick a lane. And also, has has Queens not changed in the last thirty years? Has there not been gentrification in Queens? Now, this is my <laughs> complete absence of knowledge about you know New York's boroughs, but surely that would also be funnier if Queens is now you know quite cool and quite fancy and. And if if Lavelle was not the sort of you know hustler that they met in the last film, but was uh, you know the young professional guy he seems to be in that first scene who's just looking for a break, like that to me would be more interesting and would feel like time has passed and you're trying to acknowledge that. So I don't know that that, that kind of stuff didn't didn't sit with me brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never been to Queens. Have you guys been to Queens? I have not no. I have to confess. Yeah. No, I, I am looking for Mrs. Woman, so I might need to take a page out of a Keen's book here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. That would be that would be quite the thing. Ladies, if you're listening, my DMs are open. <laughs> yes. Not the only thing is open from, from the sound of things. Uh anywho, let's move on, shall we? Uh so yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about that, I guess, but you're right that the um the the manner of uh, the, of um, the fell's conception is interesting, I guess. Um, the movie seems to me, and I brought this up a little bit with Craig Brewer, but I hadn't really thought about that. Um, is the movie does tread a fine line in terms of its presentation and embrace of problematic humor. It's one of those movies I think has its cake and eat it a little bit, certainly in terms of, mm. and knowingly so, in terms of the barbershop scene for example where you know they you know the old guys say things that are very very close to the um close to the, the line mm-hmm. uh, but if it's okay if you acknowledge it and say that oh you can't say things that you say is like this um so it's it's walking a fine line it's having this cake and eat it but yeah the, the leslie jones character you're absolutely right she oh my word what do you, what's your take on all that stuff and how and how how um how the film does walk that problematic line. Hmm. I guess they're trying to walk the line in 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 terms of her maybe not intending to drug him. I don't know. It it's you're right, it's not comfortable. It's not a comfortable scene, it's not a comfortable concept. And yeah. and I do think that there are bits where the the humor feels out of place. The one that got me was was Tiana Taylor's character, uh, Bopoto, who's Wesley Snipes' character's daughter. So that is a, a beat by beat replay of the you know woman offered up to Eddie Murphy in the last movie and again that was pretty do- fucking dodgy back in 1980 whatever it's really uncomfortable to watch now and it makes no sense from the way her character's introduced which is incredibly freaking Beyonce like so wouldn't it have been smarter to go in a completely different direction with her like wouldn't it have been funnier to again have her be the absolute opposite of um of the 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 bride first time around like yeah. i just feel like it 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 felt like it was offensive for her to suddenly turn into this personality free zone 
uh, without even being funny. So, but this is the thing. Like, I mean, you're you're making the point about sort of Zamunda sort of being unchanging. I think part of the reason why it feels that way is because there is a demand on this film for some reason to homage everything, mm. and I mean everything. And <laughs> I was talking, <laughs> I was talking earlier about the balance of past and the present of of a creed. There were some moments in that movie, in both of those movies, which sort of, you know, paid sort of homage to movies past, but like, maybe 10, 20% of the movie, if that, yeah. with this film, it feels like 60, 70, 80%, which is just, remember that joke from the old movie? Here it is again. Remember this joke from the old movie? Here it is again. And after a certain amount of time, you know, it's just not funny. It's tiresome. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that balance is just way off for me in this film. I mean, there is obviously a Michael B. Jordan reference in this film. He replaces Arnold Schwarzenegger as the ideal body in Salt and Pepper's <laughs> song, uh, which I thought was interesting and long overdue. So fair play to that. I mean, you don't want a body like Arnold's, do you? you no, you exactly. It's too bulky. A Denzel face is still fine, but body like Arnold's, like, come on, let's move on. <laughs> uh, I also had questions. They mentioned Mufasa. Who voices Mufasa in this universe? Excellent question. James Earl Jones. No, I know who it is. Ralph Boner. Ralph Boner voices Mufasa. <laughs> I asked, I once asked um, at a Walking Dead press conference at Comic-Con, I once asked Andrew Lincoln whether Andrew Lincoln existed in the world of The Walking Dead and whether anyone pointed out to Rick Grimes that he looked just like that bloke from Love Actually. I begged. That, that was my question. That was the, I was chosen to ask. A, I was called upon to ask a question. I had my hand up for ages. <laughs> That's the question I asked. What a press was the response? I got I to know now. Uh, he was a bit, he, he was quite rightly a bit baffled and stumped by the question. <laughs> I think, he, I think he, he said something about, he mumbled something about having to get back to me on that one and then spilled some water and kicked over the desk and then jumped out the window of the room. That's, that's basically what he did. Uh, that's an understandable anywho, reaction to a question. That's very, yeah, that's pretty much... Everyone I interview has the same reaction. Hey, guys, guys, you are absolutely, you know, you're harsh in my buzz on this movie, guys. You really are. What did you like about it? I deeply, deeply, deeply adored the costumes. Deeply adored oh. them. Even if this movie had been extraordinarily funny, I think we'd still be talking about Ruthie Carter's work because yeah. it's incredible. The textures, the colours, the shapes, it's freaking incredible. I want to have Kiki Lane's workout gear in this film, even with the fringes. I know they'd get in the way. I think they just look awesome. Admittedly, they might not fit me quite as well as they fit her, but like, they're incredible. Every every single look in this, even if it's ridiculous, is just just imaginative and different and extraordinary. And I I loved it. I loved every single one. How oh. was this movie not nominated for an Oscar for costume design? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe they thought it would be overlooked because you know it's not that kind of movie, but it should have been. It's, it's Norbit phenomenal. isn't that kind of movie, <laughs> and they got nominated. Suicide Squad isn't that kind of movie, yeah, and it fucking won. <laughs> Best costume design: Emma, Mank, Mank. You just go down to the shop and buy some they clothes. Just, they just wear Ma some Black Bottom, Mulan, <laughs> Pinocchio, Pinocchio. Fuck off. Wow. Anyway. You're wow. harsh about buzz Oscar nominations. <laughs> Ridiculous. Another thing I did like was King Jaffe Joffair throwing his own funeral. <laughs> I, think, I, think he, I think he might have inspired me in that regard. You, you're, you guys are all invited. 
when the time comes. Um, but, but oh, I've been planning it for a long time. God bless you for thinking real out loud here. Oh. But yeah, that was funny. And it actually led to what I think is, well, it's, it's the moment which I had the strongest visceral reaction to in the entire film, which is when King Jaffe Joffair passes and Eddie Murphy and, and James Earl Jones, they share that moment. And mm. it was very, very powerful to me. Yeah, it's really, it's love. It, it's it's his little smile the whole way through the ceremony as more and more people say more and more outrageously nice things about him. I just thought it was so, so charming. Um, mm. But yeah, I just love James Earl Jones. I saw him on stage once. It was amazing. Wow. Really? What was he doing? Um, he was doing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, as I remember. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. That's wild. Mm. And was he good? Yeah, obviously. Did you shout out during Earl the show? Jones. You're pretty good, James Earl Jones. <laughs> you might Keep go to great things. <laughs> yes, you Have can you do considered it? voice acting? <laughs> <laughs> this is CNN. <laughs> now, honestly, Mufasa and Darth Vader, that's, that's an, those, those are pretty good roles to uh, have on your CV, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, whenever sort of, you know, somebody asks me the question about sort of who, who will narrate your life, James Earl Jones is definitely in the conversation, along with Peter Cullen who voices Optimus Prime. Um, <laughs> so, so either either Not Kevin either Conroy? Of those guys oh my God, I'm oh. telling. Oh. Kevin Conroy, I don't, you know, he, he is the best Batman. We, we, we all know this, but when it comes to narrating my life, I, uh, okay. yeah, I want- Just, just winding yeah. I need, up. I need, I need that, I'm need on that Bart's rollout. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a, that was a lovely moment, and mm. uh, you know, as as people will have heard in the interview with Craig Brewer, yeah, it was actually very personal for him. Um, and also, you guys may have not have heard the interview yet, but um, that scene was was just him with James Earl Jones that he went to New York, and James Earl Jones could travel to Atlanta to shoot, so he oh. just went to New York, shot everything, wow. shot all James Earl Jones's reactions, and then managed oh, to that's make amazing. it amazing. Yeah. That's even better. So, wow. But I mean, what a concert! I mean, on Vogue and what Salt and Pepper—they are speaking my language. And then Gladys Knight. <laughs> and oh. then Gladys Knight. She didn't do the the theme tune from *License to Kill*, though, which I thought was a, a missed opportunity. <laughs> I mean, but... it seems inappropriate at a funeral. Chris. <laughs> You got a license to kill. Bam, Chill. bam, and you know, bam, bam, they're going straight down for your heart. It's got a great key change. change. Who should be the one kill. who doesn't sing on the pod? Whoa. <laughs> wow. Hang on a second. Wait a minute here. I said what I said. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, what was that? I just muted your mic. What did you say? <laughs> As I was saying, the first 30 minutes of this movie just kind of just had me just feeling really fun and positive about it. And, you know, then the cameos happen and it's just like this preposterous, never ending string of cameos where each one kind of somehow manages to one up the last one. And you go, then they have Morgan Freeman and it's just (laughs) what's going on. And then after that. Yeah, after he yeah. pops off as the as is the term for respectful term for when people die. Wow. Um, I still had a great time with it, and I still had a fun time with it, but I do wonder if it loses momentum after that. And I'm on your point about the movie switching protagonists is really interesting. And let's go back to my Eddie Murphy comment. When I watch an Eddie Murphy movie, I want Eddie Murphy. And there seems to be a very deliberate decision here to A, not only have him play the straight guy, which is interesting. Mm. Mm. I wonder how many of the jokes in this movie can actually be ascribed to an Eddie Murphy character. And B, he's not in it very much, is he? Mm. I mean, it's it's the film's dominated by by Lavelle. Yeah. Nah, it's it's definitely an interesting decision. I 
I made the point earlier that in in my view, uh, Lavelle should have been the main protagonist, but I can see a version of this movie where it is sort of all Eddie all the time. It just needed to pick one. I think yeah. that's the, that's that's the problem because part of the reason why it loses, it loses momentum is because it shifts in perspective, but it shifts continent all the way to America for a good chunk of the movie. And then brings it back to Zamunda and then switches perspectives again to Murphy. It's just a jumble. Um, it yeah. needed simplification on that regard. I feel like there's there's a couple of ways they could have gone. They could have had more of a search for Lavelle at the US end, like he just rocks up and there he is and that's cool. Or they could have had him on the scene from the beginning, but they, they've kind of got a weird middle ground here where they can't quite figure it out. Like if he'd been on the scene from the beginning, maybe it's just a straight competition between the two, you know, the the daughter and mm. and the son. Maybe mm -hmm. that would have been a slightly more streamlined, more elegant, I don't know. I, I also think like maybe she should have been a slightly bigger character to balance him. You don't need the two younger girls, actually. They have nothing to do, God bless them. Um, they're very cute, cute and very sweet and they have that nice little bonding moment with their new brother, but like mm -hmm. they don't add anything to the plot. So you could have just focused on Mika and Lavelle and had some kind of real face-off between the two of them. There was a really uncomfortable moment where I thought they were going to fall in love with each other and thank God they didn't go that way. But uh, <laughs> I thought that as well. And then I was like, hang oh, on, they're, they're really? brother and sister. This is I not assumed if they did that, then he would turn out not to be yes. his son, right? But I also thought that. But I think it's maybe just because they're both extremely beautiful people and you can't really put them on screen together without people going, I mean, are they going to hook up or what? Like, But you're right, because then... Because they're brother and sister, then they have to introduce this other character to fall in love with them. Mm -hmm. And then they're, yeah, they're just characters coming out of this movie's ears. Is there a specific moment that you thought that these two guys, these two cats were going to hook up? Because I never thought that. Yeah, I had a couple of moments like that. First of all, when they, it's, it's just the classic when they meet and there's instant hostility. I instantly think okay. that's going to turn into something. It's not, I, there was nothing inappropriate on the screen. This is just me being inappropriate, clearly. Yes. But I did, in fairness, I never assumed the film was going to go towards incest. I assumed if, yeah. if anything, if there was anything of, of that nature, then it would have it would turn out that he wasn't related to Akeem yeah. at all. I also, you know, I said this on the uh, uh, regular pod, but like, how do you not do more with Shabby Headley in this film? Mm -hmm. It just boggles my mind because we haven't seen much of Zamunda prior to this film. We've only had that wedding scene and that is it. There's so much to get into with Lisa in terms of how she adapted to, to Zamundan culture, in terms of what her relationship is with sort of, the family now, and what, what, what does she think of General Izzy and Wesley Snipes' character? There's, there's so much to get into with her, and it feels like yeah. it barely skims the surface. And it just downgrades her character from co-lead, really, of the first movie to supporting character feels almost like, you know, too, too much for, for what she is in this movie. And that's a damn shame to me, because yeah. one of the reasons why you go back to this universe is to find out what happened with Lisa, and you just really don't get a great sense of that here. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a shame because surely she would have, first of all, as I say, been arguing this stuff with James Earl Jones and with Eddie Murphy the entire time. Second of all, she would have been bringing her daughters, you would think, back and forth to America to see another world. They would have grown up very much with this culture you know, being explained to them. And so I don't feel like there should be this kind of vast chasm between uh, Mika and Lavelle and, and and this sort of this sort of weird 
disjointedness. It just feels mm-hmm. like that doesn't fit with Elisa we knew, who was really, really opinionated and spoke out mm-hmm. and, you know, was had the courage of her convictions. It doesn't feel like she would have accepted her father-in-law's word for all this for 33 years and three daughters. I just don't buy it. And I think maybe that's why they kept her in the background, because if you bring her to the foreground, that becomes completely clear. When she does sort of have sort of, you know, good material to get into, mm-hmm. she delivers. Like the, I said this uh, the other day, but when it gets into the real heart dramatic stuff, that is where this film shines. The, yeah. the, that conversation that Akeem has with Lisa when Lisa kicks him out, that's really good stuff. Yeah. When uh, Lavelle has, um, you know, the conversation with his uh, sort of, the person who does his hair, who, who he eventually falls for, mm. that's good stuff. Mm. There's a lot of really good dramatic stuff here, but it's just so few and far between. It's the same with the humor. Mm. Uh, which is sort of even even more few and far between than the heart and dramatic stuff. And that's just a shame to yeah. me. I do, I do think the stuff between uh, Lisa and Leslie Jones's character was was quite nice. Their whole sort of tentative friendship turning into a kind of bonding system between two Queens girls was, was actually kind of cute in the end. Again, it was a bit of a distraction that we didn't 100% need. So, you know. Mm. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I, like I say, I didn't, I didn't hate watching it. I will probably watch it again of a Friday night when I can't be bothered to, you know, think about things. Like I find these characters, generally speaking, very likable. And you know, yeah. mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy's such a charismatic guy that you, you can always watch an Eddie Murphy film. Well, maybe not Norbit, but a lot of them, and be <laughs> no, pretty happy with me, yourself. Me yourself. No, maybe not me, Dave. Maybe not me. Look, oh, the Adventures of Pluto Night. No, maybe not that one. Okay, look, you can watch a lot of like older Eddie Murphy movies. Very, very comfortably at any point in the, in your day and you know yeah this probably i mean it's it's not it's not down there with his early naughty stuff is what we're saying for all its faults it is nice to see eddie murphy and arsenio hall on screen oh, together mm, again so good um you said that wesley snipes might be the mvp of this movie i think it's arsenio hall and if there's one thing that i think i really take away from this movie is that <laughs> why it's 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 not a not a tragedy in the sense that you know nobody's died, but it it is a bit of a tragedy that he hasn't really done anything since coming to America. Mm. And I know he has his reasons, and he's richer than God, and he doesn't have to do anything <laughs> like like this. But he is such a talented and versatile comic actor, yeah. And he is his chemistry with Eddie Murphy is off the charts. I would just get these guys to make a movie every year, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't really care what it was. I would just go okay here, improvise for three weeks, and then we'll put out a movie. Here's my here's my pitch: a sort of coffee and cigarettes, kind of Jim Jarmushy thing, with just Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall just just hanging out. I mean, his his yeah. episode, Eddie Murphy's episode of comedians getting coffee is incredible. Just them hanging out would be freaking great. I'd love it. Arsenio Hall is also one of the few people on the planet who can do a flashback scene with no CGI needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought the CG was pretty pretty subtle yeah. actually on Eddie. Yeah, it was, it was really okay. It was it was good. It was it was proper good. It was really good. And as I I, I saw someone else uh, say that the, the film was bold enough to actually include actual footage from the first movie mm. and then do the Marvel the Agey thing as well, just so you have a comparison. Uh, you know, it's 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 pretty good. I've seen worse. Let's put it that way on bigger <laughs> budgets. But with the whole including footage from the first movie, the amount of footage that we see from the first movie is just mad. Mm. We don't need it. The whole reason why we're here is because of the fans of the first movie. 
When I tell you that I have that film, and I'm sure many other fans do have that film ingrained in their brains for all time, we do not need to see footage of the first movie in the sequel to this movie. We just don't. Ingrained in the membrane. <laughs> ingrained in the membrane. <laughs> in the brain. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I don't know where that came from. Oh well, it's all good. It's all good. Anything else you want to say before I wrap this bad boy up? Kiki Lane, uh, Kiki Lane. is a really, really great actress. I wish we mm -hmm. saw more of her in this film, but what she does get to do, uh, she's great in, mm. uh, especially when it comes to the combat stuff. That training from the old guard is still very much there, and I'd like to see yeah. that. I freaking love her. She, I mean, she has a pass for life for if Beale Street could talk with me. So she could, again, 100%. she could literally just sit there and drink coffee, and I'd be like, this is great. Oh my God. <laughs> um, Five but, stars. Hello, yeah. hello, Empire Magazine. <laughs> yes. I also feel like we didn't get enough from Tracy Morgan. I'm not sure there is such a thing, but again, you know, it felt like he was uh, one of the many characters uh, sort of crammed in here and fighting for space. But the whole idea of a, a sort of rivalry between him and Semi, I thought was was really solid, and it just didn't really get developed enough apart from that one Trevor Noah scene. I really liked that mm. scene. I thought it was a good joke. Mm. Like, uh, you know, well, a, a fun little conceptual gag that the film doesn't really do enough of. Mm. But listen, I had fun. You guys can go hang. I'm taking my sporter special ball <laughs> home. Wow. Harsh. Fine. Be that way. Yeah. <laughs> I strive to get to the level of having myself be announced in the room like Wesley Snipes as general as he <laughs> is in this film. I, I want that for myself. Mm. His walk in this film is comic <laughs> it's a great perfection. Strike. It is incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody is having as much fun as he, as he is in this film. And a lot of that fun translates to the screen. So, so that's, that's nice to watch. Well, let, let, me, let me finish off by riffing on something, by asking you about something that uh, came up during my interview with Craig Brewer, which was that the inclusion of Colin Yost slash Jost, mm -hmm. Mr. Johansson, Let's go with that. Um, is that like a household entirely comprised of soft J's or is it hard J's or is it a soft J and a hard J? Are they the J crew that everyone's talked about for, for years? Well, they are well dressed. The mythical J crew. Colin Jost, Colin Yost, Colin, Jolin Coast's cameo yep. as a, a duke raises a tantalizing possibility of a proper trading places slash coming to America crossover movie, which Craig Brewer Ooh. said he would be excited to make with, you know, you could mm. have Eddie Murphy in multiple roles. You could have him as Billy Ray Valentine and King Akeem and everyone else he plays. And maybe he can throw in a new character just for good measure in trading places in America. Samunda. <laughs> trading America. Coming to trade places in America. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it. That, that that movie excites me. Does it excite you? Because I've written it. Mm. Oh, that's, I mean, that doesn't excite me, but the idea of the movie excites me. I was um, there, and now I'm not. <laughs> we open, we open on a man. Oh, boy. Oh, God. A striking, handsome man. We pull back. He's entirely nude. He's singing <laughs> License no. to Kill. Oh, boy. What? For 25 minutes. This is my opening. Mm. <laughs> this is, I, uh, sorry, this is this no. man you? Because I'm not on board anymore. Is this man all. you? No, they've got nothing to do with it. Oh. Uh, no, this is... This is this is this Are is the character in the film. Am I this man? No, this is it says in the, in the script, very handsome. 
very handsome man. <laughs> yes, it's me. Yes, okay, it's me. Okay. okay what can yeah, I say? No, I'm on. But, I'm sorry. But I'm I'm, on. It's tastefully shot, so I'm nude, but it's tasteful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm singing License to Kill for 25 minutes. Uh-huh. And then some plot stuff happens. Uh, okay. Um, I have some notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not looking good, Billy Ray. Not feeling good. <laughs> One star, Empire Magazine, the mum woman. <laughs> would not watch. <laughs> I would genuinely love to get those two particular Eddie Murphy characters together. I think that would be a really good time. And you could actually have a really interesting Trading Places kind of Prince and the Pauper kind of thing going on with the mm-hmm. two of them. That would be really fun. I mean, the, the, your particular pitch, Chris, I think just maybe needs a little <laughs> bit more work. Um, I'm going to suggest that you workshop that through right. and and entirely lose uh, most of what you've told us. Okay. All right. No, no <laughs> yeah. I'll take it on board. I'll take it. The script's not entirely finished yet. I'm having mm. some problems spelling tumescent. Have anyway. you tried engorged? <laughs> As my wife will tell you, sadly, not recently. Uh, anyway, on that note, this <laughs> pandemic, there's a lot of pressure these days. What can, what can I do? Um, anyway, on that note, that is it for our <laughs> That is it for our Coming to America spoiler special. I've had a lot of fun dissecting this movie, guys, and I hope that you have too. Our next spoiler special, Keep and Peeled, I think it's going to be the long-awaited Greenland spoiler special with that film's director, Rick Roman Waugh. And uh, and then don't forget, of course, our weekly Falcon and the Winter Soldier spoiler specials are also going to be coming your way um, every Monday. So keep them peeled for that as well. Thank you so much for subscribing as well. It really does mean a lot to us. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from someone who rather enjoyed being on fleek. <laughs> Helena. <laughs> Toodaloo. And now it's goodbye from a man who must borrow a cup of sugar from Nextoria. Nextoria. <laughs> your Nextoria name. Oh, no. I'm on, woman. She's your queen License to, to guilt. <laughs> How are you going to overcut me with that? No, no, let's give him on this big moment. Let's give him on this big okay. moment. Yeah. Okay, no, okay. No, 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 no. You've dropped yourself into a, into, a, into a solo. Let's go. Okay, let's go. Here we go. And a one, and a two, and a three. Go. She's your queen to be. <laughs> Peace. Beautiful. I'm, I'm still in talks with Ben Travis about singing that at his forthcoming wedding. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Yes, I imagine it will be when you crash through the window on a, on a rope <laughs> and start singing it halfway through the ceremony. It's going to be, be amazing. Nothing if not memorable. <laughs> uh, and it's goodbye from me. I'm going to die now. <laughs> goodbye. Chris? Chris? Chris! Chris!